Thanks for joining us at Reveal, a Jesus-centered community. To learn more about us and what's going on, check us out on the web at www.revealvineyard.com. We hope in the minutes to come, you're able to find God, find others, and find yourself. Thanks again for listening. Uh, we're launching into a new series today. Join me. Let's, let's pray. See what the Lord has for us. Uh, Lord, we continue with an attitude uh, of uh, just surrendering ourselves to you. And um, I know there's some things here, specific things that uh, you're already speaking over us about this idea of laying it down, inviting your kingdom to come, that our kingdom would go. I pray that you would continue to do that work within us, continue uh, to draw us into that place of yielding to you. So as we open up your word today, as we start a new series, uh, would you shine your truth upon us? Uh, It's one of the hills that we die on, that we are seekers of truth, but not just our own truth, your truth as you reveal it to us through your word. And so um, would you open our eyes, our hearts, our spirits to receive from you? Would you point us in the way that we should go? Lord, if we're headed the wrong direction, would you turn us? that we would follow after you. And we invite you, Holy Spirit, be with us even in our worship through giving as uh, we continue uh, with an attitude of placing you first. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Anne Rice is arguably one of the most popular and successful American authors of uh, our time. At the age of 18, she walked away from faith completely, uh, but in um, 1998... Rice, who's most famously known for uh, her steamy gothic gothic novels such as uh, Interview with the Vampire and stuff like that, she had a faith awakening uh, where she said this, after years of pondering, Rice said, waiting on you in the back, there it is, after years of pondering and searching, the great gift of faith in our Lord Jesus Christ as Savior came back to me on a December afternoon. And so there was a faith experience that was real and tangible to her. She said that she dedicated her craft of writing to God and to the kingdom. She began to write uh, Christian novels. And then in 2010, if you know the story, Anne kind of shocked the Christian community when she publicly uh, said this. She said, today I quit being a Christian. I remain committed to Christ as always, but not to being quote, Christian, or to being part of Christianity. It's simply impossible for me to belong to this quarrelsome, hostile, disputatious, and deservedly infamous group. For 10 years, I've tried. I failed. I'm an outsider. My conscience will allow nothing else. Shortly after that, she clarified her statement when she said, my faith in Christ is central to my life. My conversation or my conversion from a pessimistic atheist lost in a world I didn't understand to an optimistic believer in a universe created and sustained by a loving God is crucial to me. But following Christ does not mean following his followers. Christ is infinitely more important than Christianity and always will be no matter what Christianity is, has been, or might even become. Welcome to our new series called Christian or More Than Christian. Let's start this morning with a segment that I'm going to call Confessions of a Pastor. Uh, Here's my confession. I totally get what Anne is saying. And it resonates with me. 
You know, this idea of following Jesus, yes. But sometimes I look at the followers who are supposed to be following Jesus, and I wonder, are we following the same Jesus? And so there's this tension within me. I mean, this may not be a popular thing for a pastor to say, but there are things that have attached themselves to the name of Christianity that, that I just detest. It's not what I'm about, what I want our church to be about. I mean, this is why if someone asks me, are you a Christian, I pause. It's almost like I need to ask a question before I answer their question. And the question I need to ask is, how do you define Christian? What do you mean by Christian? Because not everyone who claims Christian is part of my tribe. So what, what exactly do you mean when you ask, am I Christian? Maybe on some level, maybe Anne's words resonate with you as well. Maybe some of you left the church or maybe even left the faith for this very reason. And if we sat down over coffee, you could tell me your frustration with organized religion or what happened to you in the name of Christianity or how someone mistreated you or how someone stabbed you in the back or did you wrong, all under the banner of Christ. And I would agree with you. I, I, I would agree that you've gotten a, a, a bad deal and that you have every way to feel the way that you do. People who wear a label of Christian but have left Christ out of the name Christian. And here lies part of our problem as we kind of set into this new series. Who defines the term Christian? I mean, who, 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 who makes that up? Who defines the term? Ask 100 people off the street and you'll get a myriad of different answers on what it means to be a Christian. Depending on what church you grew up in, if you grew up in a church, you may have grown up in a church who told you that your brand of Christian was the authentic brand of Christian. When I was 14, that was my story. Got saved in a church that did a lot of good for me, but we were also a little off in some areas. And it was made known in a very clear and certain way that our brand of Christian is Jesus-tested, Jesus-approved. And our brand of Christian is authentic. Stay away from some of those other churches, from some of those other people, because our brand of Christian is the authentic brand. Maybe today you, that resonates with you. Maybe today you, you identify as a Christian, or perhaps you would say, I'm not even sure I am a Christian. I was a Christian. You know, in youth camp, I, I kind of came forward because I wanted to stay out of hell. The sermon scared me. And so I was a Christian, but now I'm not sure I am a Christian. And someone might pipe in and say, no, 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 there is no was in Christian. Once you're a Christian, you're always a Christian. You are in for life. And someone else would say, no, 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 no. There is a was. You can move from an is to a was just like that. My wife's experience upbringing was you can move from was a Christian or is a Christian to was a Christian, depending on how your date went when you were a teenager. Some of you remember those days, right? Some of you are like, yeah, I remember that. And you look at your wife, no, I don't remember that at all, right? And so you live in constant fear and constant repentance because am I or am I not? And so maybe that's part of your story. Maybe you live in that constant tension. What is Christian? Some define Christian by what you believe and others would say, no, 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 believing is easy. Christian is all about what you do. 
putting your beliefs into action. If you're a Christian, then it should manifest in what you do. And the other side postures and says, no, 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 it's grace alone, right? That's Ephesians 2, that it's grace alone. And someone else would say, well, grace is great, but, but, but there has to be faith put to action. And someone says, no, 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 Christianity is not about what you do. Christianity is about what has been done for us. And someone else would say, no, 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 no. You, you show me your Christianity by what was done, and I'll show you my Christianity by what I do. And they're going to say, tastes great. And you're going to say, less filling. And they're going to say, taste. <laughs> Nobody watches TV back then. Okay. First service, that killed, man. Killed. What is a Christian? At any given moment, almost 80% of Americans say, I'm a Christian. Is that Christian? Can we look at 80%, almost 80% of our population and say, there's Christian? I hope not. But what does that look like? Over the past 2,000 years of Christianity, can we look at the history of the church? And there's been some, some shining moments, but can we look at the history of the church and say, that's Christian? Where predominantly Christian nations have gone to war with each other, is that Christian? Or, or holy wars in the name of Christian? Subjugation of women all under the label of Christian? Our Christian nation that turned on itself over the debate of the value of someone who had darker colored skin. The civil rights movement that had Christians on totally polar opposite ends of equality, is that Christian? Christianity today can be just about anything. Christian today can mean whatever you want it to be. And so who defines Christian. And if your answer is, well, the Bible defines Christian, you may be surprised to know that the Bible says nothing about Christian. As a matter of fact, it's a term that is rarely even used in Scripture. And perhaps this is why Christianity has so many faces and facets, because it's not defined in Scripture. And this is, maybe this is why I have an aversion to the term, are you Christian? Because I don't know what you mean by Christian. Someone once said, if it wasn't for Christians, there'd be more Christians. And I kind of think that might be true. The, the term Christian is only used three times in the New Testament. And it was used more of a derogatory term given by outsiders looking in on a faith that they did not understand. But it was not a term of endearment. Right? It was, it was just something that kind of sticks. It's what humans always do. We always, those in the majority, always look at those in the minority and, and we look at what they do, how they act, the culture that they live by. They all look the same. They all listen to the same music or they, they, they all kind of have the same culture and we label them, right? They're, they're, they're rednecks. That's what they are. Or they're geeks. That's what they are, right? Or they're deadheads or what some of you are like, you had deadheads. That was good times way back then, right? <laughs> right? I don't know what it is, but we've always labeled people. And so here, here, is this, here is this culture trying to figure out what to do with these Jesus people. But they never referred to themselves as Christians, right? And so this idea, this name Christian, was, was somewhat flippantly given by the powers that be, kind of a sort of uh, a dismissive wave of the hand for those little Christs, those little Christ people. Right? That we, we don't know what to call them. We're not sure what to do with them. They're the little Christ. Christians, though, was not how early followers referred to themselves or their faith. Let's do a little bit of digging. We'll be in Acts chapter 11. The book of Acts is an ancient manuscript written by Luke. Um, 
after the death, the ascension of Jesus, and it chronicles the birth and the beginning of the church and the formation of the church and the acts or the ministry of the church. Not long after the resurrection and the ascension, persecution breaks out and it sends the, uh, the followers of Christ, the followers of the way in Jerusalem, and they are blasted into all parts of the world. Uh, many of them end up in Mediterranean cities, and this is kind of where uh, we pick up. Uh, we'll start in Acts 11, verse 19. It says, Now those who had been scattered by the persecution that broke out when Stephen was killed, he was martyred, traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch, spreading the word only among the Jews. So, so some of these Jews go out, and they're telling the story of Jesus, but they're kind of keeping it in-house. I'm just going to tell the other Jews about what happened, but then some other people get along and, and, and come around, and they remember the story that you're to go into all the world, every tribe, every tongue, and tell everyone. And so verse 20 says, Some of them, however, men from Cyprus and Cyrene, went to Antioch and began to speak to Greeks also, telling them the good news about the Lord Jesus. And the Lord's hand was with them, and a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. Some of them couldn't keep quiet. The message of Jesus couldn't be contained. That Listen, we were in Jerusalem. We, we, we heard, we saw, we were there when he was crucified, and we were there when the grave was empty. Let me tell you what happened and how someone died and someone is now back to life. And they began to tell the story, and they began to replicate the story. And then suddenly in this place of Antioch, uh, that was kind of the, the, uh, seen as many cultures gathering there, that, that suddenly Christianity began to take root, although it wasn't called Christianity at the time. There were just new converts coming into faith. And so this was not a name that they gave themselves, but look, look what happens, verse 22. News of this reached the church in Jerusalem. So the disciples hanging out in Jerusalem, they're anchoring the fort, and they start hearing about something's going on in Antioch, and so look what happened. And they sent Barnabas to Antioch. They were like, Barney, gather your camel. It's time to go. And so when he arrived and saw what the grace of God had done in Antioch, he was glad and encouraged them all to remain true to the Lord with all their hearts. He was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and faith, and a great number of people were brought to the Lord. Now Barney quickly realized that this is above his pay grade. Too much is going on in Antioch, and so he's going to go back to Tarsus to find a guy named Saul, who would later become Paul and write a third of the New Testament, because he needed to bring in a heavy hitter. He's like, man, there is a revival taking place in Antioch. I can't handle this alone. So verse 25. Then Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul, and when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. So for a whole year, Barnabas and Saul met with the church and taught great numbers of people. And here it is. The disciples were called Christians first at Antioch. But it was not the name that they gave to themselves. It was a label that was placed upon them. And we kind of get an idea. We, we see this in outside sources other than scripture as well through the Roman historian Tacitus, who uh, chronicled uh, the history of Rome through uh, three um, through three emperors, through uh, Tiberius, Claudius, and Nero, and then a little beyond what we have of his surviving works, he kind of talks about this. In 64 AD, uh, Rome was set ablaze. Um, most of it was destroyed, and Nero was being blamed for it. There's a good chance that he actually did do it. He's being blamed for it. Nero decides he needs to deflect the accusations, and so Nero blames it on who else? He blames it on these followers of Jesus 
who are now being called little Christ, Christians. And so Tacitus picks up here. Consequently, to get rid of the report, Nero fastened the guilt and inflicted the most exquisite tortures on a class hated for their abominations called Christians by the populace. It wasn't what they were calling themselves. It was other people were kind of putting that name upon them. Christus, from whom the name had its origin... Right? In other words, the Roman people were looking around at this Jewish knockoff religion, and all they kept hearing is them talking about Christ. We worship Christ. Christ's our Redeemer. We, uh, Christ will return one day in power. It was Christ. It was Christ. And so they're like, what are we going to call them? And someone's like, let's call them Christians. They're like, that's brilliant. And the name eventually began to stick, right? So look, look what he goes on to say. He says, Christ is from whom the name had its origins suffered the extreme penalty during the reign of Tiberius, which is the same thing that the New Testament says, right? It's talking about the crucifixion. At the hands of one of our procreators, Pontius Pilate, Scripture says the same thing, and a most mischievous superstition, thus checked for the moment, meaning they squashed it for a moment, again broke out not only in Judea, the first source of evil, but now it's in Rome, they're saying, where all things hideous and shameful from every part of the world find their center and become popular. Uh, uh, Tacitus, a historian, is, is saying, look, the, the, these, these Christian people, right, they, they were blamed for this, and then no, notice what, what else happens. He says, accordingly, an arrest was first made by all those who pleaded guilty. And you know how you plead guilty. It's because they put a sword up against your neck and they say, you're guilty, right? And you're like, I guess I'm guilty. <laughs> then, upon their information, an immense multitude was convicted. Not so much of the crime of firing the city as of hatred against mankind. Mockery of every sort was added to their, to their deaths, covering them in skins with, of beasts. They were torn by dogs and perished. They were nailed to crosses or were doomed to the flames and burnt to serve as a nightly illumination when daylight had expired. Hey, in the first century, if you were a follower of the way, if you were a follower of Jesus, it came at great risk. And the risk was persecution, imprisonment, or martyrdom. So when Jesus told the, the crowds following on him, hey, hey, if you really want to follow me, it's been easy for now. You got a free lunch. You got to see the miracles. You got to see the sideshow. You got to see all of that. And then Jesus says, if you really want to follow me, actually, he says, if you really want to be my, what does he say? If you want to be my disciple, then here's what it's going to mean. But you need to count the cost. And you're going to need to pick up your cross and follow me because one day it's going to mean something. And so this idea of Christian was not placed upon them by themselves. It was outsiders trying to label the movement who came up with, with, with the term, right? But not a term used by Jesus or even his followers, right? They did have a term to describe themselves that was far more weighty and far more clear as to its definition. Maybe you picked it up in Acts eleven twenty six. The disciples were called Christians first at Antioch. See, they referred to themselves for, as saints, but also they referred to themselves as disciples. Ask any first century follower of Jesus, what are you? And no one's going to say, I'm a Christian. They're going to say, I'm a disciple of Jesus. 
Acts 6-7. So the word of God spread and the number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly. At Paul's conversion, when he went from Saul, name was changed to Paul, he had this religious experience. Uh, He went from persecuting the church to being one of the biggest advocates, proponents for the church. says this, that after he had this conversion... It says that when he came to Jerusalem, he tried to join the disciples, but they were all afraid of him, not believing that he truly was a disciple. So here's Paul. He's like, hey, I've changed. I want to join the club. And they're like, uh-uh. We don't trust you at all. He's like, no, I'm a disciple now. And they're like, no, no. Look at Acts 9.36. Here's a woman. In Joppa, there was a disciple named Tabitha. In Greek, her name was Dorcas. Probably good to go by Tabitha. I'm just going to say that, right? <laughs> She was always doing good and helping the poor. And so here's this idea of being built, not Christian, disciple. See, listen, today you can be a Christian and believe in almost anything. Look around our culture. Just look around. Someone was telling me of something that they saw recently on TV with Kanye who started this church and, and they were like, yeah, well, there's, there's, we don't pray and there's no speaker. We just kind of listen to music and we kind of just do our own thing there. But, but we're Christian. Like, okay. You can be Christian today and be just about anything. But you take on the label of disciple of Jesus and suddenly that begins to change everything. A disciple is a learner, is a follower, is an apprentice or a pupil, meaning that we are literally following in the footsteps of our master. A disciple is someone who runs their life through the life and teachings of the person that they're following. So it looks something like this. What are your thoughts about my situation? What would you do? Because what you do is what I'm going to do. That's what a disciple would do to the rabbi. Well, what are your thoughts? What do you think? Because what you think is what I want to think because I'm your pupil. I'm your student. I'm your learner. I'm, follow, I'm learning from you. How would you handle this situation of tension? Because how you handle it is how I want to handle it because I am your disciple. And throughout history, people have hid behind the label and title of Christian, but it is far more difficult to hide behind the title of disciple. Listen to what Jesus said about what it means to be a disciple. And as you listen, I want you to think about what the church would look like if we get this right. Jesus says, a new command I give you, love one another. Now, before we continue, let me talk to the men. Men, do not dismiss what Jesus is about to say too quickly. I know some of you are thinking, well, here we go. More of this soft, flower, passive, save the environment, protect the whales, hippie Jesus telling us to love everyone, giving us these ideas that don't work in the real world. I'm a man. MMA, NFL, gun carrying, gym going, testosterone flowing man. Get in my way and I will roll you, right? I know some of you, that's what you're thinking. And so here here is Jesus saying, can we just love one another? Hey, bro, maybe part of the problem is you've seen too many pictures of Jesus that look like this, right? Is that the Jesus, right? This is Jesus. It's this beard trimmed in a little triangle. It goes up just perfectly. This is part of the Christian culture that I hate. And why is Jesus always a white guy? Right? And so if, 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 if your image of Jesus was a soft, passive guy, let me remind you that Jesus walked into Jerusalem 
knowing he was going to be crucified. You wouldn't do that. I wouldn't have done that. Jesus' understanding of crucifixion wasn't because he read about it in a textbook. He would have literally seen it. The criminals and those who were opposed to the Roman government, those who uh, were trying to lead a revolt, he would have seen. Maybe his mother covered his eyes as he walked down the city streets. He would have seen them hanging upon the cross. He would have seen death. He would have smelled the rotting corpse. He was all too familiar at what crucifixion is. Right, Invented by the Persians but perfected by the Romans. He would have known. And yet he walks into the very city where he's about to be crucified. That doesn't sound like a man of weakness. So before you're going to dismiss the man, let's learn about the man and what he was teaching us. His time is short. He's hours away from his arrest. He's gathered his disciples together. Every word counts. And here's what Jesus says. A new command I give you. Love one another. And you can see John writing it down. Love one another. That's it? that's, that's, That's like your parting words? Love one another? He says, as I have loved you, so you must love one another. Jesus is saying, remember how I loved you? Remember all those stupid things that you did and I forgave you? Remember all those things that you did and I dismissed them? Remember, remember, remember when you said, can, can anything good really ever come of Nazareth? And you, 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 you dissed me and my people, and yet I was like, okay, well, let that one slide. Remember, remember, when, you, when, you, remember when you tried to rebuke me? <laughs> you tried to rebuke me, right? And, and yet, as I loved you, I want you to love one another. In verse 35, by this, Jesus is saying, look, this one thing is going to prove something to the world. And it's not that you're this whatever name is going to be applied to you at some point. By this one thing, everyone will know that you are my disciples, that you follow in my footsteps, that you're a learner, that you're a pupil of mine, that you're trying to model your life after me. By this one thing, everyone will know that you're my disciples if you love one another. And we would say, love, I I thought it was about belief. I thought if I believe enough, well, yeah, there is, there, is, there is some things you need to believe, but there's no substance to belief. No one can see your belief, right? You can believe and you can be hidden among the masses of others who, quote, believe. And so Jesus says, look, here is the substance to your faith. Here is how the world will know, not that you believe, it's not about what you proclaim, it's about how great you love. The defining characteristic, Jesus says, of those who will be my disciple, those who will be my followers, those who will be my pupil, the defining characteristic is how well they love. 55 years after Jesus, the very John that we're reading now, he's an old man. He's preparing his uh, last uh, writings, first, second, third John. He's preparing his writing. He's lived a long life. He's traveled the world proclaiming the message of Jesus. Uh, He lived through the persecution of Nero. He heard all about Nero's circus, which wasn't a circus. It was a death chamber, right? He knew about the the persecution of of the disciples. He would have heard about Peter's crucifixion under the hands of, uh, of Nero, possibly crucified upside down. He would have heard about Paul being beheaded. He would have heard about the other disciples who had given their life. And now here is John, an old man, possibly the only one left. He he saw the destruction of Jerusalem and the sacking of the temple, and he would have lived through all of it. And here he is, 
putting his final words pen to paper. And, and what does he tell the disciples coming after him? First John 4, 7, he says, Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. It's almost like, John, you're still carrying this banner of love. Like you're still carrying this banner after all the persecution, all the death, all the mayhem, all the chaos, and, and you're still hanging on this one thing. And, and, and John would say, you, you know why? It's because love comes from God. And then he continues, because everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. And whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. We talk about God, we talk about all these omni-words, omniscient and omnipotent and omnipresence. But, but, but we, if, if you want to put it in terms that even a child could understand, John says, look, as an old man, he's like, if, if, if you're a disciple because he is love, you best make sure your life is about love. Because if your life is not about love, then John would say, you don't even know the God that you say you're following. Because he is all about love. And so your life needs to reflect the love that you received. Verse 11, dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. Look, you can make Christian out to be anything you want it to be today, but if you step in to the title of disciple of Jesus, it changes everything. I'm not saying let's get rid of the title of Christian. I am saying that maybe we need to elevate the term, raise the bar, and put Christ back in the name of Christian. That we are disciples of the one who we proclaim we believe in. And enough of this that you can believe anything under the banner of Christian. We are disciples. We are followers of Jesus. Listen, the church has given people a reason to reject Jesus. Under the name of Christianity, we've given people a reason to say, I don't want whatever they are. But moving forward, if someone's going to reject Jesus, let them reject this. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes would not perish but have everlasting life. And if they don't want that, if they're like, I don't want that, I don't need that, I don't agree with that, then that's their decision. If you're here today and you're like, yeah, I came with a friend, but I don't want any of that, that's your decision. And you can reject Jesus based upon what Jesus said. But let's not give people a reason to reject Jesus based upon how we have lived. And so Jesus says, and Paul and, and John echoes it, he's like, look, look, look. I want the world to look in on a community and be in awe at how you love one another. I want a world to peek through the window into, the, in, into the, the church community, into the community of my disciples, and be like, I can't believe how these people love one another. I can't believe how they treat one another. And I'm in awe at how the men treat the women, and how the women treat the men, and how they honor children, and how they treat widows, and how they treat the poor, and how they treat orphans, and how they treat the least of these. He says, I want the world to look in on your community and say, I want a little piece of that. And he says the only way that happens is not by wearing the title of Christian that can mean anything. The only way that happens is if you love the way that I have loved you. And when the church has got this right, 
The church changed the world. And when the church has gotten it wrong, we went to war to convert people by sword. Or we try to convert people through names and angry banters and, and, and yelling and screaming with picket signs that say all kinds of evil against people, things that Jesus would have never said. And so there's some weight to this. Love one another. Imagine if the church gets this right. Imagine what our church community would look like if we get this right. And so how can you put this into practice today? Not as a Christian, but as a disciple of Jesus. How can you put the words of Jesus, the words of of his disciple John, into practice today? I know what you're thinking. You don't understand. Tomorrow I get up and my boss is an idiot. I get it. It's you against the world. You don't understand. My family is out to get me. I get it. You don't understand. My wife is blank. You don't understand. My husband is one step above a caveman. You don't understand. I get it. I get it. You don't understand my schedule. You don't understand my past. You don't understand what I've been through. And yet here's the invitation of Jesus. If you don't want to be my disciple, you don't have to be. But if you're going to be my disciple, then here's the requirement. If I'm in you, then you must love as I loved you. And if you don't love, then we have to ask another question. Am I in you? See, this is the weight of a disciple. This is when Jesus is like, look, you got to get ready. you got to get ready because this is one day it's going to be easy to be a Christian, but I'm calling you above and beyond that. I'm calling you to be a disciple. I'm calling you to follow me, to align your life with me. And so what would happen if today we decided to be extraordinary lovers of people? What would it look like? When you leave those doors today and you go into your restaurant, into your home, into your workplace, into your school, into your family, what would it look like if you choose to be a lover of people? Because the God that loves you is asking you to extend that love to other people. Christian, okay, can mean a little too much for my taste. Disciple of Jesus is where it's at. So let's put the Christ back in the term, that we would resist anything that would cause other people to resist Jesus unnecessarily. Christian culture that causes people to resist Jesus unnecessarily, we don't want anything to do with that. Living a life that would cause people to resist Jesus unnecessarily, we don't want any of that. If they're going to resist Jesus on the teachings of Jesus, who Jesus claimed, that's their decision. But that we, as a Jesus-centered community, will not stand between them and that decision. Amen? Stand with me. That was the introduction to our series. We'll continue to unpack this a little bit. We'll look at, uh, we'll look at the shining moments of the church. We'll look at some difficult moments of the church. And uh, we'll unpack this a little bit. So pray with me, Lord. Um, today, uh, in our culture especially, the term Christian is thrown around so quickly, so easily that it's kind of lost its meaning. There's all kinds of belief structures that fall under that term, and some of them are far from you. Um, Some claim the name Christian, and 
could not even say that you are the Christ, that you are the Son of God. You're just one of many. And so today, while I'm not saying we throw out the term, would you, would you speak to us about elevating the term? Would you speak to us about being a disciple? Hey, maybe for some of you right now, there's, there's a, a moment of repentance that, needs, that you need to step into. You know, maybe you've been that angry person. Maybe you've been the person on social media spewing words, trying to change someone's mind, and you just have not shown the love of Christ. Maybe it's in your workplace where you've just become angry and bitter. Maybe it's towards a family member. And you need to step into the role of a disciple again. Holy Spirit, would you empower them to do what they cannot do on their own? Holy Spirit, would you place in someone's heart, someone's mind right now, the person that they need to begin to love as you loved them? Will you respond to what the Holy Spirit is speaking to you right now? Will you say yes to that? Even when your flesh is like, yeah, I don't want, I don't want to do that. Would your spirit rise up and be obedient? Lord, as far as it be on this community, on our watch, on this Jesus-centered community, let us not give reason for someone to resist you. That means that we will love one another. We will prefer one another. We will love our community. We will be quick to forgive, quick to show kindness, compassion, humility, gentleness, because we are a disciple of Jesus. We are a follower, a student of Jesus. And so release us in the power of the Holy Spirit to be a disciple that the world may know that Jesus is alive. We pray these things. Amen. Amen. Hey, God bless you. Thank you for coming out today. Uh, if you're a guest, I'd love to meet you. If you need prayer, well, I'd love to have someone pray for you. Come back next week. Invite someone. Uh, it's Mother's Day. We look forward to seeing you for that. It's going to be a good time. Watching the nightly news. Don't seem to find the rhythm. Just want to sing the blues. Feels like a song that never stops. Feels like it's never gonna Gotta get 